homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Today we're looking at the Dhamma Vihari Sutras. These are in Anguttara Nikaya chapter 5, discourse number 73 and 74. Dhamma Vihari translates from Pali as one who lives by the Dhamma or one who dwells in the Dhamma. On both occasions, a certain bhikkhu approached the Blessed One, paid homage to him, sat down to one side and said, It is said, Bhante, one who lives by the Dhamma, one who lives by the Dhamma. In what way is a bhikkhu one who lives by the Dhamma? In many suttas, the Buddha emphasizes the Dhamma that is good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end, with the right meaning and phrasing. And in particular, when he talks about the Dutiya Marapasa Sutta, this is Sanyutta Nikaya chapter 4, discourse number 5. This Dhamma reveals the perfectly complete and purified spiritual life. There are beings with little dust in their eyes who are falling away because they do not hear the Dhamma. There will be those who will understand the Dhamma. So the emphasis is always around understanding the Dhamma. The meaning and the phrasing is very important. And so this is part of when we look at these Dhamma Vihari Suttas to bear that in mind. This is something that will be very much emphasized by the Buddha. In both teachings, the Buddha describes five kinds of persons. The first is Pariyati Bahulo, one who is devoted to learning the Dhamma. The second is Panyati Bahulo, one who is devoted to declaring or speaking the Dhamma. The third is Sajaya Bahulo, one who is devoted to reciting the Dhamma. The fourth is Vitaka Bahulo, one who is devoted to reflecting on the Dhamma. And the last is one who lives by the Dhamma, Dhamma Vihari. So the interesting thing about these teachings is that it gives us a glimpse of different ways people approach the Dhamma. And it also emphasizes the Buddha's learning system. And we get the opportunity to correct some of the misconceptions around learning and practicing the Dhamma. We often find the distinction being made between Pariyati, learning the Dhamma, and Patipati, practicing the Dhamma, and also Pativeda, which is penetrating and realizing the goal of the Dhamma. So when we look at these particular teachings and other parts of the Sutta that help us to understand these teachings, it clarifies and corrects some of our misconceptions and potentially wrong views around Pariyati, Patipati, and Pativeda. Before we deep dive into these five different kinds of persons that the Buddha describes in the Dhamma Vihari Suttas, it's good to provide a bit of context. And the context is the five things that lead to the continuation non-decline and non-disappearance of the true Dhamma. The reason that we look at this is to understand that these different ways of learning are all important towards making progress on the spiritual path. And what is important as a result of that is that we don't derogate or disparage these different aspects of learning the Dhamma. So the five things that lead to the continuation, non-decline and non-disappearance of the true Dhamma are one, the bhikkhus learn the Dhamma. So these are the discourses, mixed prose and verse, expositions, verses, inspired utterances, quotes, birth stories, amazing accounts and questions and answers or analysis. 
So this is essentially the ninefold classification of the Buddha's teachings. And the second thing is the bhikkhus teaching the Dhamma to others in detail as they have heard it and learned it. The third is the bhikkhus make others repeat the Dhamma in detail as they have heard it and learned it. The fourth is the bhikkhus themselves reciting the Dhamma in detail as they have heard it and learned it. And the fifth is the bhikkhus pondering, examining and mentally inspecting the Dhamma as they have heard it and learned it. So these are the five things that lead to the continuation, persistence and endurance of the true Dhamma. So what we can see when we look at that, we understand that the Buddha's learning system is very complete and very important. The aspects include much around hearing and learning the Dhamma, also around declaring or speaking out the Dhamma, and that includes recitation, and then also being able to reflect, ponder and mentally examine the teachings as well. And then finally, when we look at being able to penetrate and realize the teachings, this is really associated with living by the Dhamma. So when we go through the detail of what the Buddha describes in these Dhamma Vihari Suttas, it's also good to bear in mind the Buddha's learning system. So it starts from Suttadaro, so remembering and retaining what one has heard, Sutta Sanichayo, accumulating and storing what has been heard, Bahusutta Honti, so hearing a lot of Dhamma, Data, which is retaining them in mind, so the teachings of the Buddha, memorizing them or knowing them by heart, Vachasa, which is being able to speak the Dhamma, recite the Dhamma, discuss the Dhamma, express the Dhamma. Paricitta, which is accumulating, gathering and practicing the Dhamma. And then Manasa Anupekita, this is where we reflect, contemplate, mentally investigate, very much like Dhamma Vichaya, and carefully examine them in our minds. And then the final one being Ditya Supativitta. So this is well penetrating the Dhamma, or thoroughly understanding with right view the Dhamma. So that aligns with what we'll talk about today in terms of the five different kinds of persons and really what they focus on predominantly. What we'll see from the Buddha's teaching today is that when you don't understand the meaning and the phrasing, when you haven't penetrated and understood with wisdom the Dhamma, then there's something that is lacking there. The key thing to, to take on board as we go through is that these different aspects of Buddha's learning system are all very important. And so it's good not to derogate or denounce or disparage anyone who has a particular emphasis in the teaching because it's good to know where they're coming from and also certain aspects of their practice may be important for them. Let's now look at the different kinds of persons that the Buddha talks about in the Dhamma Vihari Suttas. So the first one is Pariyati Bahulo, one who is devoted to learning. So Pariyati is learning the Dhamma or learning the wording of the Dhamma. And Bahulo means when it's abundant, abounding in much, also devoted to, or something that you're absorbed in or clever in. So the Buddha says, Hiya Bhikkhu. A bhikkhu thoroughly learns the Dhamma, and then he describes the ninefold classification of the Buddha's teachings, but he does not go further and understand its meaning with wisdom. He passes the day in learning the Dhamma, but neglects seclusion and does not devote himself to internal serenity of the mind. 
This is called one who is devoted to learning the Dhamma, not one who lives by the Dhamma. So you can see that I've merged the two suttas to get the full description that the Buddha gives for one who is devoted to learning. Here you can see the link to the good quality of Bahusutta, which is contained in the Sekhapatipada Sutta. When you learn the Dhamma, this is something that is very important. The distinction though that the Buddha makes here is that one can be clever or absorbed in learning, but if you don't go further to understand its meaning with wisdom, then you fall short. And same with if you spend all your time learning the Dhamma, but you don't actually practice it and penetrate the meaning through the higher concentration and then to develop wisdom. As we know, the higher training involves Sila Samadhi Panya, so virtue, concentration of the mind and wisdom. So you can learn the Dhamma a lot, but if you neglect the meaning and you neglect the practice that would enable you to penetrate the meaning and realize concentration of mind and also wisdom, then you fall short. So this is very interesting for all of us because we all spend a bit of time, if not a lot of time, learning the Dhamma. And it's much needed when you look at the learning system. In terms of the Buddha's learning system, as we outlined earlier and have been through before, there's a lot that is associated with hearing and learning the Dhamma. So it should not be neglected, but it's the aspect around understanding the meaning and penetrating the Dhamma through practice that is important and key here. The Buddha does give a name to someone who knows the Dhamma. They're called Dhammanyu. And this is one who knows the Dhamma, so the ninefold classification of the Buddha's teaching. And if they don't know the Dhamma, then they're not someone that would be called one who knows the Dhamma. So there is a place for someone who knows the Dhamma. If you think about it this way, you can't practice without some Dhamma knowledge, without something to work with in terms of being able to practice and penetrate those teachings. In many suttas, the Buddha highlights the importance of hearing and learning the Dhamma, but he warns about if you don't practice enough. And so the sutta that is very helpful is the Apasutta Sutta. And we looked at this when we looked at the Seika quality of Bahusutta, hearing much or very learned. So the question that the Buddha asks in this sutta is, and how is a person, one of much learning or having heard much, who is not intent on what he has heard or learned? So this is Bahusutta Sutena Anupapano. So the Buddha says, here someone has heard or learned much from the ninefold classification of the Buddha's teachings, but he does not understand the meaning of what he has learned. He does not understand the Dhamma, and he does not practice in accordance with the Dhamma. In such a way, a person is one of much learning who is not intent on what he has learned. So that's pretty straightforward in the priority here. So it's not that one shouldn't learn, it's the fact that you learn, but you haven't understood what you've learned, the meaning of it, and therefore you don't understand the Dhamma, and therefore you're not practicing in accordance with the Dhamma. So if we take an example, say the Vatupama Sutta, one learns the Vatupama Sutta, you can even give an account about the Vatupama Sutta, about the simile of the clock, and even list out the defilements, the mental stains. However, if you don't understand the meaning of, say, for example, the defilements, the mental stains, and you haven't penetrated the truth of why those mental stains are very important and why they need to be abandoned, then clearly you don't understand the meaning of the Dhamma contained in the Vatukama Sutta. 
If that's the case, then it leads to not being able to practice it, not being able to refrain, not seeing the importance of refraining from those mental stains to prevent oneself from covetousness, ill will, anger, hostility, and all the rest. And how that lines up with ignorance, that if you don't remove these things, then you keep breeding more ignorance and then you're still stuck in the whole mess of suffering. So you can see that you can learn a lot. You can even give a teaching on the Vatuvama Sutta. But if you don't understand its importance, you don't understand why the Buddha has emphasized the importance of certain things, then how can you practice? And if you don't practice, then it's very difficult for the path to come together to make spiritual progress. The second person that the Buddha describes is Panyati Bahulo, so one who is devoted to declaring or describing the Dhamma. And it says in the suttas, again, a bhikkhu teaches the Dhamma to others in detail as he has heard and learned it, but he does not go further and understand its meaning with wisdom. He passes the day declaring the Dhamma but neglects seclusion and does not devote himself to internal serenity of the mind. This is called one who is devoted to declaring the Dhamma, not one who lives by the Dhamma. So again, this is quite evident that this is someone who spends a lot of time declaring and teaching the Dhamma. And what they neglect is understanding and penetrating the meaning with wisdom and neglects seclusion and devoting themselves to internal serenity of the mind, the higher concentrations. What is important to understand about why the Buddha emphasizes internal serenity of the mind is because when you go into the higher concentrations, this gives you the ability to be secluded from sensual pleasures. At the same time, with the higher concentration, one is also able to penetrate the higher wisdom. Similar to learning the Dhamma, one can be very absorbed in simply declaring or teaching the Dhamma. And that can be also to an extreme where you become quite clever at teaching the Dhamma, absorbed into teaching the Dhamma, and constantly going to and fro from teaching. And of course the onus is on oneself to ensure that one gets to the higher concentration, one devotes time to understanding the meaning. And to also understand that when you understand the meaning with wisdom, if you have developed path and fruit, made spiritual progress, then that is a better position to be in to teach the Dhamma, to declare the Dhamma. Because then you can activate that in other people as well, help them to develop path and fruit, to enter the stream and develop further. Now, when one doesn't see it in that way, but simply teaches the Dhamma is what the Buddha is saying in this case, without understanding its meaning and wisdom, then you fall short in terms of what you can convey to others, what you can help others to develop in. And so that's something to bear in mind. The other thing around developing serenity of the mind through seclusion is that when you are secluded and intent on practicing in accordance with the Dhamma, then you are also free from the hindrances. Because as we know, when you are developing seclusion, you're developing seclusion from unwholesome states and sensual pleasures, that gives you the ability to enter into the jhanas, into the higher absorptions. When that is the case, you are free of sensual desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, or dullness and drowsiness, restlessness and worry, and also the doubt. And that is very important towards not breeding any further ignorance, but at that point being able to lean towards wisdom, lean towards the liberation of the mind. The third kind of person that the Buddha highlights is Sajaya Bahulo, 
one who is devoted to recitation. So this kind of person is clever in recitation and gets quite absorbed into recitation of the Dhamma. So the Buddha says, again, a bhikkhu recites the Dhamma in detail as he has heard it and learned it, but he does not go further and understand its meaning with wisdom. He passes the day in recitation, but neglects seclusion and does not devote himself to internal serenity of the mind. This is called one who is devoted to recitation of the Dhamma, not one who lives by the Dhamma. So again, it's important to emphasize that recitation is seen as a good thing. As we know, it's something that helps to contribute to the continuation, non-disappearance of the Dhamma, the true Dhamma. But in this case, this particular person hasn't devoted time to understand the meaning of the Dhamma that one is reciting and therefore is also neglecting seclusion and being able to devote themselves to the higher concentration of the mind in order to penetrate that Dhamma and therefore to practice it. The sutta that complements this is the Piyankara Sutta in Sanyutta Nikaya chapter 10, discourse number 6. And this was the time where Venerable Anuruddha was staying near Savati in Jetha's grove under the Pindaka's monastery. Now at that time where Venerable Anuruddha was reciting the Dhamma, a native spirit called Piyankara's mother was soothing her little child, saying, Don't make a sound, Piyankara. A bhikkhu recites the passages of the Dhamma. When we understand a passage, we can practice for our welfare. Let us keep from harming living beings and speak no false speech. We should train ourselves well in virtue and hopefully we'll be freed from the goblin realm or sprite realm. So what you can see from Piyankara's mother's utterance is that what is important is when you recite passages or listen to someone who is reciting passages of the Dhamma, it is important to understand what you are reciting and you can then practice in accordance with that Dhamma. And that leads to safety, that leads to, at some point in time, liberation. Let's now pause and take a look at this Dhammapada verse. It provides a very good example that lends itself to some of these types of people that we have looked at so far. So at the time the Buddha was residing at Jetavana Monastery and he made reference to these two bhikkhus who were friends when he uttered this Dhammapada verse. The commentary to the Dhammapada verse tells us that there were these two friends of noble family who ordained as bhikkhus. They were both from Savati. One of them learned the Dhamma and was very proficient in reciting and declaring the Dhamma. He in particular taught 500 bhikkhus and became the teacher of 18 groups of bhikkhus. The other bhikkhu, striving diligently and ardently, attained arahantship along with the analytical insight. Now on one occasion when the second bhikkhu came to pay homage to the Buddha at Jetavana Monastery, the two bhikkhus met. The one who was the master at the Dhamma did not realize that his friend had already become an arahant. He looked down on his friend thinking that this old bhikkhu knew very little of the suttas, not even one out of the five Nikayas or one out of the three Pithakas. The Buddha knew about his mean-hearted intention and he also knew that as a result of giving trouble to this noble disciple of his, the learned bhikkhu would be reborn in a lower world so out of compassion, the Buddha visited the two bhikkhus to prevent the learned disciple from questioning the other bhikkhu. The Buddha himself did the questioning. He put questions on the jhanas and on the path to the learned disciple. 
but he could not answer them because he had not practiced what he had taught. The other bhikkhu, having practiced the Dhamma and having attained arahanship, could answer all the questions. The Buddha praised the one who practiced the Dhamma, but not a single word of praise was spoken for the learned bhikkhu. Now the resident bhikkhus could not understand why the Buddha had praise for the old bhikkhu and not for the learned bhikkhu who was their teacher. So the Buddha explained it to them. The learned bhikkhu, who knows a great deal but does not practice in accordance with the Dhamma, is like a cowherd who looks after the cows for wages, while the one who practices in accordance with the Dhamma is like the owner who enjoys five kinds of produce from the cows. And in that instance he means milk, cream, butter, buttermilk and ghee. Thus, the learned bhikkhu enjoys only the services rendered to him by his students, but not the benefits of path and fruit. The other bhikkhu, though he knows little and recites only a little of the suttas, having clearly comprehended the essence of the Dhamma and having practiced diligently and strenuously, is an anudhammachari, one who has eradicated lust, ill-will and ignorance. His mind being totally free from moral defilements and from all attachments to this world as well as to the next, truly shares in the blessings of path and fruit. Then the Buddha spoke in verse as follows. Much though one may recite the words of the Buddha, if negligent and does not act accordingly, is like a cowherd counting others' cows, has no share in the fruits of the ascetic life. Little though one may recite the words of the Buddha, but lives in conformity with the Dhamma, having abandoned lust, hatred and delusion, having right knowledge and a well-emancipated mind, not grasping in this world or the next, one truly shares in the fruits of the ascetic life. So we can really see here an example that the Buddha has given of these two friends who are bhikkhus. The distinction that is made between one who learns, recites and speaks the Dhamma but hasn't penetrated the meaning, hasn't practiced in accordance with the Dhamma, how that person falls short to the one who has learned the Dhamma, but doesn't speak much of it and doesn't recite much of it. But at the end of the day, they live in accordance with the Dhamma. They live in conformity with the Dhamma. They have penetrated the truth and the meaning of the Dhamma. And in that case, they have borne the fruit of that practice with path and fruit. So they have become a true noble disciple of the Buddha, and in this case, an Arahant. The fourth kind of person is Vitaka Bahulo, one who is devoted to reflection on Dhamma. And in this case, the person may be clever in Dhamma contemplation or absorbed into Dhamma reflection. The Buddha says, again, a bhikkhu reflects or ponders, examines and mentally investigates the Dhamma as he has heard it and learned it, but he does not go further and understand its meaning with wisdom. He passes the day in reflection, but neglects seclusion and does not devote himself to internal serenity of the mind. This is called one who is devoted to Dhamma reflection, not one who lives by the Dhamma. Here we see that the person is actually doing something that is part of the learning system, so it's a good thing. So this aligns with Manasa Anupekita, so one of the things that helps us to be very learned, where we ponder the Dhamma, examine it in our minds and mentally investigate or inspect that Dhamma. However, there is a shortfall for this particular person, as highlighted by the Buddha, that they don't go further to understand its meaning with wisdom. 
and they don't encourage themselves to take seclusion and go to the higher states of concentration. What we must remember is that the higher concentration is where you are secluded from sensual pleasures and unwholesome states, and therefore once you enter into the higher concentration, you are free of hindrances, things that block the meaning and the true understanding, true wisdom that can be gleaned from the Buddha Dhamma. And it may be also the case that when one reflects on the Dhamma, one is going round in circles rather than really penetrating the truth. And so there are many examples of this where one may be contemplating different parts of the Dhamma, but one hasn't really fully understood the truth of it. So for example, the one that comes to mind is the first noble truth of suffering. So one may be contemplating one's own personal Dukkha, but fails to see that the Dukkha that the Buddha is really talking about and why it's a noble truth is that this is a universal truth around birth, aging, sickness and death. It's not around the ins and outs of one's personal Dukkha, which is more around me and mine. So in that case, you fail to penetrate the first noble truth of suffering. And that is something that is seen as a great loss by the, the Buddha. And so in that way, the Buddha is really emphasizing the importance of getting to the meaning with wisdom and the higher concentration supports being able to access that because you can investigate the Dhamma in your mind but the problem is if you don't penetrate it with wisdom then it's almost like you're going around in circles but it ends up fruitless. And then the fifth and final kind of person is where these suttas are really named for, Dhamma Vihari, is one who lives by the Dhamma or one who dwells in the Dhamma. The Buddha says here a bhikkhu thoroughly learns the Dhamma, the discourses, mixed prose, verse, explanations, verses, inspired utterances, quotations, rebirth stories, amazing stories, and questions and answers or analysis. But he does not pass the day solely in learning the Dhamma, but he goes further and understands its meaning with wisdom. He does not neglect seclusion, but devotes himself to internal serenity of the mind. It is in this way that a bhikkhu is one who lives by the Dhamma. So this is where the Buddha comes to in terms of what is encouraged. It is to be Dhamma Vihari. So what we can see from the Buddha's words is that this is a person who thoroughly learns the Dhamma. So the ninefold classification of the Buddha's teachings. And when we think about thoroughly learning, it also aligns with Bahusutta, all those different qualities of the Buddha's learning system. This particular person does not spend their time solely learning the Dhamma, but goes further to understand the meaning with wisdom and also to devote time to the higher concentrations and therefore, as part of the higher training, access the higher wisdom. So this is where we get to in terms of learning the Dhamma. We can now look at this Dhammapada verse that was uttered by the Buddha with reference to the late disciple Chattapani and the two queens of King Pasanadi of Kosala. This will help to illustrate the Buddha's teaching on Dhamma Vihari. So the Dhammapada commentary tells us that a lay disciple named Chattapani, who was a non-returner, lived in Savati. On one occasion, Chattapani was with the Buddha at Jaitavana Monastery, respectfully and attentively listening to a Dhamma discourse. At that time, King Pasanadi also came to visit the Buddha. But Chattapani did not stand up or rise from his seat because he thought that by standing up, it might mean that he was paying respect to the king but not paying due respect to the Buddha. The king took that as an insult and was very much offended. The Buddha knew exactly how the king was feeling, so he spoke in praise of Chattapani, who was well versed in the Dhamma and had also attained fruit of non-return. 
On hearing this, the king was impressed and favourably inclined towards Chattapani. When the king next met Chattapani, he said, You are so learned, could you please come to the palace and give lessons of the Dhamma to my two queens? Chattapani declined, but he suggested that the king should request the Buddha to assign a bhikkhu for this purpose. So the king approached the Buddha with this request, and the Buddha directed Venerable Ananda to go regularly to the palace and teach the Dhamma to Queen Malika and Queen Vasavakatiya. After some time, the Buddha asked Venerable Ananda about the progress of the two queens. Venerable Ananda answered that although Malika was learning the Dhamma seriously, Vasavakatiya was not paying proper attention nor wisely contemplating. On hearing this, the Buddha said that the Dhamma could be of benefit only to those who learn it seriously with due respect and proper attention and wise contemplation, and then practice diligently what was taught. And then the Buddha spoke these verses, Like a beautiful flower that is full of colour but lacking fragrance, so too are well-said words, fruitless when not lived. Like a beautiful flower that is full of colour and fragrance, so too are well-said words, fruitful when lived. So you can see here the emphasis on Dhamma Vihari, the importance of gaining insight and meaning from the words that are said, from the words that are learned, from the words that are recited, and from the words that are contemplated. So let's now look at what the Buddha means by practice according to Dhamma. There's a sutta called the Dhamma Nudhamma Patipana Sutta. This is in Itivutika number 86. And he says, when referring to a bhikkhu who practices according to Dhamma, this is the proper way of defining practice according to the Dhamma. When speaking, he speaks only Dhamma, not non-Dhamma. When thinking, he thinks only thoughts of Dhamma, not thoughts of non-Dhamma. By avoiding these two, he lives with equanimity, mindful and clearly comprehending. A bhikkhu enjoying the Dhamma and delighting in the Dhamma, reflecting upon the Dhamma, does not fall from the true Dhamma, whether walking or standing, Sitting or lying down, with mind inwardly restrained, he attains to lasting peace. One of the important things around this particular sutta that complements Dhamma Vihari, living by the Dhamma, is that what is helpful towards practicing for path and fruit is secluding oneself from all the things that are non-Dhamma, so that the focus of one's practice is really around Dhamma. As we know, it's very difficult to be secluded from the world, all the objects and ideas and things that are really non-Dhamma. Knowing that to practice in accordance with the Dhamma, what is helpful is to start making that a priority. Start giving some time to prioritizing Dhamma over non-Dhamma. When you make that more conscious, it naturally becomes easier to live by the Dhamma. And so you start truly enjoying the Dhamma, delighting in the Dhamma, and reflecting upon it and not falling away from it, as the Buddha says. And so this then becomes one's practice when you're walking, standing, sitting and lying down. And the mind is naturally inclining inwards rather than outwards. And so when it naturally inclines inwards rather than outwards, then it really starts to look at the meaning of the Dhamma and will start inclining towards higher concentrations of mind. And so as the Buddha says, this really leans towards the attainment of lasting peace. The Buddha gives a very strong encouragement at the end of the teaching when he says, Thus because 
I have taught the one who is devoted to thoroughly learning the Dhamma, the one who is devoted to declaring the Dhamma, the one who is devoted to Dhamma recitation, the one who is devoted to Dhamma reflection, and the one who lives by the Dhamma. Whatever should be done by a compassionate teacher out of compassion for his disciples, seeking their welfare that I have done for you. These are the feet of trees. These are the empty huts. Bhikkhu, develop. Do not be negligent. Do not have cause to regret it later. This is our instruction to you. And so in the same way that the Buddha instructs, this is the encouragement to develop, not to be negligent, to really put into practice, to make the effort to understand the meaning of all that we are declaring and discussing of the Dhamma, all that we are reciting of the Dhamma, and all that we are reflecting on of the Dhamma. And there is a sense of urgency that is infused into that because time is truly short and let's not have any regrets later. The Buddha and the Noble Arahants are our good examples, our role models for living by the Dhamma, Dhamma Vihari, and also for practicing in conformity with the Dhamma, Anudhammachari. So we can look to their examples, the way that they have penetrated the meaning, developed insight, and attained liberation. We can end our session here. Let's share the merit with all sentient beings. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings be free from suffering. Blessings of the Triple Gem. Wishing you well. Deruan Saranai.